uh, a challenging statement because you, we, you see the, the bad things, you see the sins, and yet on the other hand, we know you've forgiven us. And, and so now as you look at us, you, you want to help us. You're waiting for us to call out for you, the Abba Father that, that we were reciting earlier, that, that you want us to come to you for help in all of these things. And so as you're over us, you're, you truly are caring and nurturing and guiding shepherding us in in gentle ways. And yet you're also there with the rod for discipline. We thank you for all the ways you interact with us for our good and for your glory. You're a great Father. So now as I pray, we go into this time to look at parenting and, and, and how to relate to children at different ages that you'd help us see what's going on in the text and gain from it to submit to it, to be guided by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So before I preach today, I need to tell you how I'm preaching. Uh, this, this is a story in Second Samuel chapter uh, 13 and following. And, you know, I, it's a big story. And if I was going to read it all, we'd be here a long time. So I'm going to try to tell this story today just like I'm telling a story. I'm a storyteller, and at different moments I want you to see what the text says, what the Bible says. I want to camp out in a few places and make a point. So you'll see those on the screen behind me, and you can kind of be like, okay, let's zero in here. But it's a big story, and in fact I have two endings to this sermon, and uh, one of them would be if I get to have enough time to preach the whole thing. I was trying to cut things down last night, but it wasn't going very well. So um, I have two different endings. There might be a part two next week. We'll just see how far I get. But it, it's a story that ought to be made into a movie. I mean, it's like this, this is one of those where it's like there's so much going on. There's so much to learn from this. And it has a lot to do, what we're going to look at it from the perspective of is David's parenting. David the King parenting. So here's your cast of characters in this historical story. You've got David the King. Maybe I should have said David the Father and the King. David is the King of Israel. He's the guy who killed Goliath. Uh, This is who he is. Now you've got Amnon. Now Amnon is the firstborn son of David and a high gnome. He's the offender in this story. He kicks off a chain of events that's heartbreaking and tragic. That's Amnon. Firstborn son, kind of impulsive, kind of following his own lusts, Amnon. Then you've got Tamar, who's the daughter of David, and Makkah, she's disgraced in this story. I mean, she is the victim in this story. Now, uh, automatically you can see there that, that David is a polygamist, okay? He has multiple wives. If I have time today, I'll deal with that. Uh, I want to talk about that, because that's not the ideal. Uh, we have lots of other verses that say God's ideal is one man, one woman. I'll deal with that if I have time. If not, maybe next week. Um, Absalom is the son of David and Makkah. So, so Tamar and Absalom are full brother and sister. And Absalom is the handsome guy, you know. And, and again, full of himself because of it. Absalom. And then you've got, going down the list, you've got Joab. He, he figures into this. He's the commander of David's army. He, he's the top military guy. He's a warrior. He's a schemer. He's got plans. He's got strategies. He's got political plans. You know, he's a schemer, but he is loyal to David. And then you've got Hushai. Um, Hushai, doesn't it sound like a spy's name, you know? He, he's, 
He's the royal advisor, and yes, he's a spy. Hush eye, all right? Um, this could be like the next Mission Impossible, you know? It's just, it's just kind of like, it, it just fits. So I, I'm going to preach this. I'm going to try to preach this in a family-friendly way because the beginning is scandal. And, and I'm not going to dwell on those details, but I am going to go over them just briefly. This story begins uh, with David's son Amnon violating his sister Tamar. He seizes her and he violates her when they're alone. He pretends to be sick and he creates this huge offense in the family. And now Tamar is, is this disgraced person. The Bible describes her also as desolate. And, and she goes to live with her brother Absalom. And, and, and this, this incident, this incredibly offensive sin that again, I'll invite you to read on your own. This, this sexual sin sends all of these repercussions, uh, these earthquakes throughout David's family. It all starts with Amnon's sin. This is the result of it. If you can get the first verse up here, number one. Um, it says, her, as Tamar's brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. So, so, he's, so Absalom is trying to comfort her with what she suffered. She's been victimized. And, 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 and Tamar lived with her, in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he disgraced his sister, Tamar. So Absalom is comforting his sister, but he doesn't say anything else. He's quiet. He's planning. He's thinking. But I want to call your attention to David right now. What does David do when he hears what's happened within his family, with his children? David hears it, and he's furious. He's, he's angry. And that's not bad. He should be angry. He should be furious. But he doesn't do anything else. Nothing. Nothing. Just, just fury. That's it. No punishment. No discipline. I want to I present two things this morning that every single parent has to do with their children. Uh, every single parent must do two things if they're to raise successful children. And the one is discipline. Because whether kids say it or not, there's this internal thing inside them that says, where are the boundaries, mom and dad? How far can I ride my bike? What can I say and get away with? And many of you know that certain age when they get to, when they start to press the boundaries, you know, when, when you're like, ooh, you, say, you told your parents no. Like, do you remember that day, you know, the first time you heard your kids say no, and you're like, I know why you're doing that. You're seeing if you can get away with that. And it's not happening. And hopefully you had a, a consequence for telling your parents no or talking back to them. Uh, David doesn't do any of that. He, he, he just, he's just mad. He's just really mad. And he's rightfully mad. But he doesn't do anything. Now, I want you to think about this. Um, what, one of the areas, because none of us are perfect, one of the areas that I've struggled with and that I've tried to repent of and continually pray about is, and you can ask my kids this, it's easy for me to fall into just anger as a way to deal with bad behavior. I'm mad. I'm yelling. I, I, red in the face, whatever you want to say, but using anger as a way to control behavior. And can I just say, it's not effective. 
I mean, yeah, you might scare them a few times and, and, and they might do whatever you said, but it's not actually training them. It's not actually a fa- Yelling doesn't work. Let me, let me tell you why yelling doesn't work. You'll understand this. Most of you probably break the speed limit to some extent. Some of you more than others. What if the only thing a police officer could do to you if you were speeding was yell? I mean, stand beside the road. Hey, slow down. You, you, slow down. You're like, me? Ha, you know. Um, you just be going faster. No, slow down. It gets red in the face. He's, I think I heard him that time I rode by him. He was really loud today, you know. You, you, just, you just keep going. You wouldn't stop for that guy. But you, if he can write out a speeding ticket, and if speeding tickets pile up, he, they can take away your license to drive. Oh, man, I'll slow down for that. Or at least limit myself to the five over, you know. <laughs> right, that's what we do. I'll limit myself because I don't, I don't want that consequence, and, and they're going to prove it by enforcing it. Discipline. Show me the boundaries, and show me that you're going to do something if I violate them. That's what every child wants to know. Will you take action if I do this? Where's the discipline here? There's an awesome passage about discipline. It deserves much further treatment for me this morning, but I'm going to do it briefly. It's Hebrews 12. Would you check it out behind me? Uh, Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, you've, and you've forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as son. So hold on. I want to know... Um, oh, can we go back to the first part again? Sorry. I could ask this text a few questions. I could say, okay, Hebrews 12, tell me, why do we discipline? Why do we discipline our kids? And I see the answer in verse 6. Every time you discipline your kid, it's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, you got a speeding ticket, you're going 15 over. Maybe the police officer loves you because he wants you to keep everybody else safe, you know? Um, spanking, right? Spanking is one of those things. I'm not going to make any judgments about it today. I'm not trying to do that. You can look at passages that talk about using the rod. You know those things probably. But um, spanking, yelling fist in this category too. Is, is it just a pressure valve release for you? Or is it done in love? That's all I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to tell you what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. But, but you know there can be a line that's crossed when I just need to take out my anger over what you're doing and I'm doing that through spanking. Or is it an act of love? Can you say that honestly? Because if you can't say it's an act of love, if it doesn't, if it doesn't, if it doesn't seem like love to you, you don't have to feel it maybe, but, but if it doesn't seem like love to you, I'd wonder if you should be doing that. And that's all I'm going to say. But if it is love, okay. Because I can point you to the verses that say to use the rod. I, I, I know those verses. You know them too. My grandma used to say, um, she quoted one. It was scary when she said it. Um, it was that one that said, uh, you use the rod, they won't die. You know? I was like, whoa, grandma, stop. She had this paddle hanging in, in, in her doorway. You know, I never even saw her use it, but the fact that it was hanging there, oh, man. Yeah, they won't die, she said. That's the, that's the word of the Lord. You won't die if I use this. Okay, Grandma. Um, 
But, but I also know, as a parent, it can be like, I'm so mad. And I know that's not love. And I would challenge you there. So, so okay, I also asked this passage. I'm looking at it going, okay, so I'm supposed to do it in love. What am I supposed to do exactly? And I look at verse 5, and it says, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. That's an action you take. And it says, don't lose heart when he rebukes you. That's a word. Re- rebuke is, is a statement. So there's action and there's words when you discipline. There's both. It, it, it's a both and sort of thing. So you say, I, I want to tell you, son, that when you lied, it's wrong. And let me tell you why. Because God is a God of truth. God never lies. And so when you lie, you're not acting like him. You're, you're discipling your kids when you discipline them. You know? You're discipling them. You're connecting to the word of God. And even before they sin, you should be discipling them and telling them what the Bible says. You know? uh, and so you're doing this, and then when they violate it, you take action. Natural consequences are awesome. You know? So um, you didn't respect me, but you can respect your coach playing sports? I don't think so. You don't respect me, you're not even going to play sports. You know, we've done that one. And it's hard not sending your kid to practice. But it's like, you're not going to go there and respect them and do all they require and then with me say that to me. It's not going to happen. It's not going. So, you know, we try to figure out natural consequences, uh, appropriate consequences, appropriate groundings. But there's action that must be taken that David never took. Uh, Next part of Hebrews. It says, uh, endure hardship as discipline. God's treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good. And here's, here's the results of discipline right here that we may share in God's holiness. Again, connect the discipline to who God is. He's holy. He never lies, so you shouldn't lie. He commands you not to steal. You shouldn't steal. Um, Okay. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. No kidding. Uh, If your groundings seem fun, you got the wrong punishment, people. You know, it's not a good thing. Um, Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. What am I looking for in my kids' lives as I discipline them? Two things I'm looking for. Righteousness and peace. Do they act righteous like God does? Do they act like their heavenly father? Maybe even more than their earthly father, right? Right? I want to see that. Your training them in discipline is for that result and for peace. You know, I think every parent in here would love that their kid not experience the scars of sin, right? I mean, wouldn't that just be the best thing? I mean, your kids, your kids are going to have a hard life because there's always trials in life. There's always hardships. But wouldn't it be great if they didn't have the scars of sin and instead they had a deeper measure of peace because they've obeyed and followed the Lord? Now, now, now get this. Don't get me wrong your forgiveness of your sins also leads to peace. But we all know that some sins are big enough that they complicate our lives in difficult and deep ways that lead to no peace. And we struggle for peace. So we discipline our kids. David didn't do that. Um, He just let it go. Now, moving on in the story, um, 
Where am I at? Let's see. So, okay. Um, back to the story. David's furious, but he doesn't do discipline. Absalom is furious, but he's quiet and he's making a plan. And so he says to the king, I want to have a big party and I want all the king's kids to be there. All my brothers, I want them all to be there. And David's like, really? Amnon needs to be there too? Yeah, I want Amnon there too. And David, either unwittingly or maybe knowing, we don't know what David's thinking, but the next verse comes up and here's what happens. Absalom urged David, so David sent with him Amnon and the rest of the king's sons. Big party, guys. Let's have a good time. But Absalom ordered his men, listen. When Amnon is in high spirits from drinking wine, and I say to you, strike Amnon down, then kill him, don't be afraid. Have I not given you this order? Be strong and brave. So uh, Absalom talks to his thugs, I mean servants, and uh, his minions, although that word's been co-opted by the movie. Sorry. He talks to his minions, who are not little yellow guys. (laughs) Man. And... uh, when I give you the word and, and Amnon's drinking a lot, I want you to kill him. And, and the minions do it. The thugs do it. They just they take his life. I mean, he's got these loyal servants. I'll do everything you want, Absalom. I'll do it. And they kill him. This is David's response to the death. Next verse. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amihud, king of Geshur. So Absalom flees. King David mourned for his son every day. Well, which one would that be, do you think? I'm not sure. After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there three years. So Absalom is away from dad and home three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go to Absalom. Kind of makes it sound like Absalom's the main guy here. For he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. Again, cryptic, mysterious, and I'm not altogether sure if David is comforted because Amnon's dead after what he did. Or if he's comforted because it's kind of like the whole thing is kind of over and, and he's just kind of done. I, he has some peace. I, I don't know. In any case, Absalom flees. Next part of the story, you've got, um, so Absalom's living three years away from his dad. Now you've got Joab, commander of the army. And he's got whatever motivations he has, he says, we need to fix this thing between David and his son. We've got to fix this thing. And so Joab says, I'm going to hire this woman. And this woman is going to go before the king and she's going to be crying and carrying on and the king's going to say, what's bothering you? And she's going to tell this story. Oh, king, I have two sons, the crying woman says. And they were fighting one day and one of them killed the other. He struck him and he killed him. And now everybody wants to kill my other son for committing murder. Do something, king. And David says, we'll protect your son. I'll issue an edict and we'll protect him. And then the woman says, Oh, king, you are so wise. So why is it Absalom lives so far away when he's done the same thing? And then David steps back and says, Joab put you up this, didn't he? And she's like, Yeah, yeah. He, Oh, my king, you're like an angel. You know all things, she says. Yes, Joab sent me in here, and uh, it, it's time to reconcile. So, so David says, Have Joab bring Absalom back, and this is what happens next. Then Joab went to Geshur, and he brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. So you might think, good news, right? Reconciliation, right? Wrong. Look at this. But the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. 
So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. Do you know how long that lasted? Another two years. He is not going to see his dad for five years, and two of them, they live in the same city. Where is David's failure here? Love. Every kid needs two things. Discipline. What are the boundaries, Dad? How far can I ride my bike, Mom? And they need love. Do you love me? I just need to make sure you you reaffirm that over and over again. And David said, bring him back to the city, but I'm not going to meet with him. No love. No love for me. You're not going to see my face. Can I just take you to one of the most physically loving passages I know in the entire Bible? You all know this one. But if you would just look at like what this parent does to love, it's profound. And it should be a model for how we love our kids, whether they're uh, 20, 30, 40, or, or 4, 14. It should be a model for us, no matter what age. In the parable of the prodigal son, you've got this son that says to dad, give me my inheritance. I want to go blow it on you know, uh, wine, women. I want we'll just... Dad gives him the inheritance. He goes out blows all the money, comes back penniless, comes back to dad like, Dad, I don't deserve to be called your son. I'll just be your servant. You know this story. And this is the way the dad loves. We put the verse up in Luke. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. So I say to you, if you're writing down, here's how I love my child, Do you show them your emotions? Did you show them how much you love them? I know you feel it. I know it's in here. I know you men feel it. You're proud of your kids. But do you show it? You don't have to like run to them, but do you express that emotion in some way at some time to them? That's that's what parents do. And then it says, uh, he he ran to him, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. I don't know if you're a huggy, feely family, but sometimes you should be. And maybe you don't do it every single time, but maybe you should do it sometimes. In fact, I know you should do it sometimes. Appropriate physical touch. Throws his arms around him, kisses him. It might be the most awkward thing for you in the world, but I'm asking you to go there. Okay? I'm asking you to go there. Because even if your child feels it like it's a little bit awkward to get a hug from dad now that he's 40 years old and you're 65, it will be remembered. It will be remembered. The arms go around, uh, even if it's awkward, and, and a kiss for his son. And the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Next verse. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Write this one down. Some kids love gifts, you know? Get your kid a gift. Show him how much you love. It shouldn't only be gifts, but, but gifts are part of it. Get him a, some kids are wired that way. Give me a gift. I love that, you know? The birthday gift is awesome, Christmas gift. Um, so do that, gifts. And then he says, Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Okay? Let's eat together. Uh, how many of you are having the regular family meals where you're sitting across from your kids and talking? How many of you, even over the holidays, get so busy with whatever that you're not sitting down at a meal? We, we need these times, th- th- those family meals. And, and then look at this. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son was, 
of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Who's the celebration for? Only one guy, the prodigal son. This big party is just for you. Just for you. Just for you. Focused attention on your child. This is just about you. And I can confess it gets harder and harder when you have more kids because how do you find time for the one when you've got four? But this is just for you. This day is about you. I want to spend time with you. That's a convicting word I heard from the Lord this week because obviously we do a lot of things together as a family, all is one, but am I doing enough just to say, this is about you because I love you. Kids need that at any age. Even when they're old enough to blow all their money and come back penniless, they need that. So you thought I was preaching just to parents of little kids. I'm not. I'm not. Ooh, I've got 15 minutes. All right. We'll see how far I can get. All right. So um, let's keep moving here. So every, every kid needs discipline and love. Now I want to tell you how the whole thing shakes out. David failed at discipline. He failed at love. And what happens next in the story is um, Absalom. You, you know what kids do when they, when they don't get love? They act out, right? And adult kids do that too. Absalom's like, Dad won't see me. It's been two years and Absalom says something like this. You know, if he wants to kill me, let him kill me. But he's going he's gonna to see me. I've done this long enough. And so Joab says, how am I going to get his attention? I know. I'll talk to Joab, the commander of the army. How am I going to get his attention? Oh, I know. I'm going to set his fields on fire. And so Absalom calls his thugs together, his minions, and says, minions? You know, um, sorry, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. You know, I suffered through that movie this summer. When you're watching a movie whose protagonist can't even speak English, it's very frustrating. I just, just need to say that. I got it out. Okay, let's keep going. So the minions say, we'll set fire to the field. So they set fire to Joab's field, and Joab's like, what's going on? And Ab's like, I want to talk to you. Okay. And so uh, Absalom says, Joab, I want you to go to Dad. Tell him, I've lived here two years. If he wants to kill me and punish me, let him kill me. But enough of this. Enough of this. And Joab says, I'll go to the king. Here's what happens next. Put the verse up. <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry. I skipped a spot. We'll, we'll, we'll do that in a second. See, I got out of order. How did I do that? Man. Okay, so let's do this. Before we get to that verse, let me say this. So Joab goes before the king. And, and, and um, here's where I'm mad because I wanted you to see this one thing. And I, I'm obviously out of my own order. Um, do you have uh, number six, Jim, 1 Samuel 14:33? It's the next one up. Perfect. I got out of order. My fault. Totally my fault. So Joab went to the king and told him this. You know, Absalom wants to see you. Then the king summoned Absalom. He came in and he bowed down with his face to the ground before the king and the king kissed Absalom. That looks just like the prodigal son, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, on first glance, I see a kiss. And I see a son humbling himself before dad. But I don't see the word dad in there. Do you see the word dad? I see the king summoned his royal subject, Absalom. And I see Absalom bowing before the king. I see distance even in this. I see distance. 
Now, the verse I skipped over gives you a, a little picture of Absalom's character here. Can you go back to that, Jim? <clears throat> this is just an editorial comment about the guy. In all Israel, there's not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. He gets people's uh, most attractive man of the year, you know? From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there's no blemish in him. See, we've been doing this for years. Who's the most attractive guy in the United States? You know, for Israel, it's Absalom. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him. And he'd weigh his hair, and the weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. The guy's got heavy hair and good looks. Now, my hair's pretty thick, so I'm feeling good about this. Have you ever seen Christy clip my hair? It's like a huge pile. It's like, man. Um, okay, sorry. Uh, let's keep going. All right, all right. So I'm out of my own order. Absalom goes before the king. The king kisses Absalom. I don't think it's real reconciliation because the very next verse after this says, Absalom started to get some guys together. And he started to tell people things. And this is the kind of thing he told them. Next verse. Let's see. Absalom would talk to people of Israel, and he would say, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or a case would come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. So Absalom starts to talk to the people of Israel. And he's a good-looking guy, heavy hair. You know, you're going to use that, right? You know, like, this guy, he's got some heavy hair, you know. Man. Um, <clears throat> and, and he starts to tell people, if I were judge, and, and what he's starting to plant is, if I were king. And finally, he tells people, I want you to pronounce me king. Absalom rebels. He gets an army together. And David hears about it, and David flees. David runs for his life. He leaves the palace, because Absalom has so many supporters. Now, I want to show you what happens next. Um, It's going to be number eight, Jim. Don't read this yet, but um, just a moment. David flees the city. He's walking barefoot. He's walking in a sign of mourning with his people. Um, And and you've got this humble king that's walking to a place where he can hide from his son. And as he's walking... There's this guy called Shimei. I didn't put him in the cast earlier. And Shimei starts cursing David. In fact, if you want to put him in the cast, it would have been Shimei the potty mouth, right? Shimei <clears throat> starts cursing David. You warrior, you shed blood, you kill the innocent. God curses you. Um, and then Shimei starts throwing rocks at the king, throwing dirt at the king. And then one of David's men next to him says, So king, you may take this guy's head for you. And this is what David says next. And so parents, I want you to see this. I'm so glad I got to this point in the sermon because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to. But um, David, you failed at love. David, you failed at discipline. Look what you did to your family. Yes, I know. Absalom's responsible. Amnon's responsible. I get that they're responsible too. But David, look what you did. And this is the beauty of who David is. This is the beauty of his faith. Parents, this is hope for you when you're far from your children and and you can't seem to make it close. This is for you, okay? This part is all for you. But the king said, so, so the guy says to the king, David, that guy's cursing you. I'll go kill him. And David says this, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zariah? I love it. I love it. 
If he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? Then David said to Abishai and all of his officials, my son, who's my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? He's from the tribe of Benjamin in Israel. Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. I don't know if the Lord told Shimei to be a potty mouth and curse David. I don't know. But I can tell you that he is from the tribe of Benjamin, according to this verse. Do you know who, what, what tribe King Saul was from? Benjamin. So maybe this guy was kind of like, Saul should be king, you know, not you, David. Son of Jesse, tribe of Judah. You know, we Benjamites, we should be on the throne. Maybe that's part of it. It's this political Republican versus Democrat, you know. We, we, you know. Or maybe God told him to curse. And, and David says, look, I failed. Do you see the humility there? My own flesh and blood is trying to take my life. Do you see that? I've failed. I've messed up. And now I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord because maybe the Lord has told him to do this. And maybe the Lord will do something about it. Is there a second part to that verse, Jim? It may be the Lord, Yahweh, will see my distress and repay me with the good from the cursing I received today. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went, throwing stones at him, showering him. Can you, can you see this? David the king is barefoot, walking, having dirt and stones thrown at him from Shimei and hearing this cursing. And he just takes it. And some of you parents have taken it. You know, you've been hit with the, you failed. And I don't know if it's all your fault or if it's your kid's fault. I, I, I don't know how that all works out. I don't know what burden you carry. I don't know if you should be carrying all of it. You know, because Absalom's still responsible for what he does. He's still a man. Humble yourself. Let the dirt get thrown. Humble yourself. Because the Lord may see it and do something about it. Do you see David's trust in who God is here? It's beautiful. It's like, God, my, I'm at my lowest, one of, one of the lowest points of my entire life. This isn't the victory after Goliath. This is, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. I may die tomorrow. But I'm going to humble myself before the Lord who has my life in his hands. And if this is all the consequences of my sin of adultery, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Whatever you want, God, I'll take it. Your discipline. And there's humility. Here's the verse I want to close with that I want you to see from Peter. Man. Uh, skip over the young men part. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So things aren't going well with your kids. Humble yourself. Because God will see it, and in due time, the right time, God's time, He'll lift you up and put you in a better place. I don't know when that time will be, but you humble yourself before the Lord.
and you cast your anxiety onto him. God, you know the mess I've made. Or you could say, God, you know I, I have part in this mess and my son has part of this mess. My daughter has part of this mess. Oh, God, help me. I humble myself before you. I can't. I can do a little bit, but I can't fix all of this. You have to help me and humble yourself. So that's what I would encourage you parents with that um, carry burdens, to do what David did. For you young parents, I encourage you to love your kids well. Fill up their love tank. As one uh, psychologist says it, fill it up. Keep it full. When they go to school and come home, fill it back up because they're probably running on empty by that time. Not that there's no love at school. There's no love from mom and dad at school necessarily. Fill it back up. Discipline your kids. Now let me tell you how the story ends. David sends a spy named Hushai. You've got to love it. <clears throat> Hushai. This is hush-hush. And so uh, Hushai becomes Absalom's royal advisor. And Absalom's like, yeah, Hushai left David and is following me now? Cool. And Hushai says, now's the time to strike the king. Now's the time to fight. He's weak. Go get him. But David's actually got an army with him. And so Absalom takes his guys and they ride out. And as they're riding, Absalom accidentally comes across David's warriors, David's fighting men. And he's fleeing them and he gets his hair caught in a tree branch. And the animal that he's riding rides off and he's hanging there by his hair from a tree. Joab hears about it. And, and someone says, Joab, Absalom's hanging from a tree by his hair. And, and Joab's like, and you didn't kill him? What are you waiting for? You know. And so Joab goes out there and kills the king's son. And David hears about it. And it's like, David, your throne's back. And David mourns and he says, Absalom, my son, my son, if only it were me dead instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. And his sorrow is so great. And then Joab comes in and reminds him, uh, David, you're the king. And if you keep crying over your son, you won't have anybody left in your army to fight for you. Because they fought for you against your son who was rebelling. And in, in, a, in a gentle way, Joab said, you've got to act like a king at this point. So David gets up, acts like a king, and his throne is, his throne is restored to him. A hard... A hard story, again, lots of ups and downs. I'd say the story actually started not with Tamar getting violated. It actually probably started with David's adultery. That's where his downfall started. There's forgiveness. There, there's forgiveness for every person who calls in the name of the Lord. I don't want anybody to walk out and be like, yeah, pastor said I'm, I'm a failure. There's forgiveness. Humble yourself. Let God exalt you because he still exalted David at the end of this story. But I know the pain is still there. I know the pain for him was great, and we carry it too. But trust the Lord. Humble yourself. And for you young parents, keep loving and disciplining your kids, and keep praying the Lord would use that to reveal himself. Use the word of God with them. Show them what it says. Show them the love of God, and trust him. Let me pray. Worship team.